Hello, everyone. I'm Warren Smith in Charlotte, North Carolina. And I'm Christina Darnell, subbing this week for Natasha Smith. And I'm also coming to you from Charlotte. And we'd like to welcome you to the Ministry Watch podcast. Each week, Ministry Watch brings you news about Christian ministries, as well as the latest in charity and philanthropy, news that we examine from a Christian worldview perspective. Our goal is to help us become better stewards of the resources God has entrusted to us. On today's program, Liberty University announced the details of its audit of the tenure of Jerry Falwell Jr. And Ridgecrest Conference Center has a buyer. And students parents and alumni at Moody Bible Institute want the school to do more to fight sexual abuse. We begin today with allegations of sexual misconduct against musician and artist Chris Rice. A church in Lexington, Kentucky has hired GRACE, which stands for Godly Response to Abuse in the Christian Environment, to investigate allegations of sexual abuse by singer-songwriter Chris Rice. And that church is Tate's Creek Presbyterian Church. The senior pastor there, Robert Cunningham, he released a statement last week. It was Thursday, October 15th, announcing the investigation. Now, Cunningham said that they were deeply heartbroken to inform the public of the allegations. But he said, we are committed to our promise to address them with the severity they deserve. The church had hired Chris Rice to lead worship on multiple occasions for youth and college retreats between the years of 1995 and 2003. Cunningham said, through his involvement in our ministry, Mr. Rice developed close relationships with multiple students. The concerns arose when one of those male students called the pastor to inform him that Rice had sexually assaulted him on multiple occasions. Now, I want to be clear that these uh, allegations remain just that, allegations at this point, but the pastor said, we are treating them as credible because of the source of the allegations and corroborating evidence that we've discovered. Chris Rice was a star in the Christian music world in the 1990s and early 2000s. In fact, in 1999, the Dove Awards recognized him as the Male Vocalist of the Year. Warren, up next is a story of a resignation that does not involve scandal. It's the announcement of the resignation of Gordon College President Michael Lindsay. And he announced this week that he's going to step down from his role next summer. Yeah, Lindsay leaves after a 10-year tenure leading the Christian school in Wynnum, Massachusetts. He said he was inspired uh, by the story of former American Enterprise Institute president Arthur Brooks, who also stepped down from his position at AEI after 10 years. Lindsay said that he felt it was time for the passing of the baton to someone else. And unlike the departure of some ministry leaders that we've seen in recent months, Lindsay appears to be going out on a high note. Yeah, that's right. In a letter announcing his departure, he pointed to milestones that the school had accomplished in recent months, including a 33% tuition cut that will go into effect in the fall of 2021. Gordon announced the price cut near the end of the college's fundraising campaign. They called it a faith-raising campaign in which they raised more than $125 million, including an anonymous $75.5 million donation, which was the largest gift in history that's ever been made to an evangelical college. The funds will go directly to support scholarships freeing up other resources. And 
I've got to say, Christine, I know Michael Lindsay a bit. Uh, he was a graduate of our Colson Fellows Program, which is a program that I had some involvement with when I was uh, at the Colson Center. He's an outstanding guy, and I think he might have just made himself the leading candidate for the presidency at Liberty University. Ah, well, Warren, before we go to break, a quick and strange story about the cryptocurrency Bitcoin. Two charities received about $10,000 in donations in digital currency Bitcoin from a group claiming to have made the gift from proceeds it received from a ransomware payment by corporations. Yeah, the two organizations were Children International and The Water Project. They each received 0.88 Bitcoin, which translates, as you said, to about $10,000 from a cyber criminal group called Dark Side. Now, Children International supports children and families in the United States and around the world. The Water Project provides reliable water projects in communities in sub-Saharan Africa that lack access to clean water and proper sanitation. I mean, that's weird. Why would an organized gang of cyber criminals be giving money to charity? Well, it's a great question. Apparently, these criminals are trying to buy some goodwill, uh, at least in the mind of the public. In a post online on October 13th, Darkside said that hackers target only large and profitable corporations. This is a quote from that statement. We think it's fair that some of the money they've paid go to charity. No matter how bad you think our work is, we're pleased to know that we helped change someone's life. Well, that raises another question. How were they even able to give? Yeah, well, another great question. Uh, The donations were made through an organization called The Giving Block, which is a Washington, D.C.-based platform founded in 2018 that does enable charities to accept donations via cryptocurrency. Uh, The Giving Block works with about 70 charities, at least according to the website. The co-founder of The Giving Block is a guy named Pat Duffy, and he said in a statement, these funds have not been connected to a known hack. Otherwise, they would automatically have been blocked by the compliance safeguards that we put in place to proactively monitor incoming transactions. If these funds truly turn out to be illicit, they will be returned to their rightful owner. But that statement, I got to say, Christine, seems a little disingenuous because one of the reasons people use Bitcoin in the first place is that they're virtually untraceable. And I should also add that an estimated 1.7 billion dollars, that's with a B, was paid in ransom by organizations, including city and county governments last year um, to hackers. And pretty much all of it was paid via Bitcoin. Well, Warren, we need to take a break, but when we return, a follow-up on a story we've been covering at Moody Bible Institute. I'm Christina Darnell, along with my co-host Warren Smith, and we'll be back after this short break. Hello, everyone. I'm Brittany with Save the Storks. Save the Storks is a pro-life ministry passionate about inspiring the world to reimagine the pro-life movement by serving and valuing every life. Save the Storks partners with pregnancy centers all across the U.S. to own and operate a stork bus to offer free ultrasounds and pregnancy tests to women in unplanned pregnancies. Stork buses park near college campuses, abortion clinics, shopping centers, and serve rural communities that lack medical care. Save the Storks is pleased to be the sponsor of the Ministry Watch podcast. For more information about our life-saving organization and how we partner with pregnancy resource centers around the country, go to savethestorks.com. That's savethestorks.com.
Welcome back. I'm Christina Darnell, along with my co-host Warren Smith, and you're listening to the Ministry Watch podcast. Warren, let's continue with that story I mentioned before the break. More than 2,200 parents, students, and alumni of Moody Bible Institute have signed an open letter and petition urging Moody President Mark Job to address an alleged pattern of, quote, dismissal, cover-up, and even disciplinary action being taken against survivors of abuse. Yeah, the petition says instances of stalking, discrimination, sexual assault, and rape have been downplayed or overlooked altogether at Moody Bible Institute. The letter was posted last Friday night and has, as you said, garnered more than 2,000 signatures, and that number continues to grow. The letter has some pretty specific demands, such as a demand for student input in the selection of Moody staff who oversee discrimination and abuse complaints. A letter attached to the petition also contained the detailed stories of four Moody students who claimed that Moody mishandled their abuse cases. Warren, we've now got another story that we've been following for a while, and that story is the sale of Ridgecrest, and it's the huge Baptist Conference Center in North Carolina. Yeah, Lifeway Christian Resources, which is the sort of the publishing and conference center arm of the Southern Baptist Convention, reached an agreement to sell Ridgecrest Conference Center and summer camps to the newly created Ridgecrest Foundation. The two groups plan to complete the transfer of the North Carolina property and all the ministries associated with it by the end of 20. That's lightning fast for a transaction of this size. Well, it is. uh, And you're right. Ridgecrest is large. Ridgecrest is about 1,200 acres. It's a camp and conference center, as I said. It's nestled up near Asheville, North Carolina, not too far from where you and I are, as a matter of fact, Christina. It was chartered in 1907, so it's more than 100 years old. And Ridgecrest held its first events in 1909. It started as Ridgecrest for boys and then moved to become Camp Crest Ridge for girls opened in 1955. I should also say, though, that that this transaction, while it seems to be really fast, has been a while in the making. Lifeway has been anxious to sell Ridgecrest, get it off its hands for a while. I was told by people familiar with the transaction that Ridgecrest was breaking even on the operations of the property until the COVID crisis, but it had millions, if not tens of millions of dollars in deferred maintenance liabilities of the property. Now, Christina, I got to tell you, uh, many years ago, I bought a British sports car, an MG convertible, and that the day I bought it, I thought was the best day of my life. But a couple of years and a lot of car trouble later, I sold the car and learned the wisdom of the old joke that buying a sports car is not the best day of your life. The best of your life is the day you sell it. And I hope that the buyers of Ridgecrest don't arrive at that same conclusion. Well, Warren, there seems to be little doubt that COVID will have an impact on Ridgecrest and the entire camping industry for years to come. We also posted a story this week about the impact COVID is having on religious tourism. Yeah, religious tourism has been brought pretty much to its knees, no pun intended, as a result of the virus. Tour operators who organized religious pilgrimages to a variety of holy sites around the world have been ravaged by COVID-19 just like the rest of us. There's been a massive drop in religious travelers, especially in the spring during Passover and Easter and this past summer. Uh, There's been a drop in travel to popular destinations like Jerusalem and Rome, for example. The World Tourism Organization estimates that some 330 million tourists visit the world's key religious sites every year, 
but not this year. The TSA, which of course is the government agency here in the United States responsible for transportation, reported that a 70% drop in passengers going through their checkpoints out of U.S. airports this year. That's more than five times the decline seen during the six months following 9-11. And unlike 9-11, the industry has been really slow to recover. In fact, in a survey of its members by one major travel trade group, operators said that travel won't resume in any real form until 2021 and probably not even until the last half of the year. Warren, I think everyone knows that travel is down generally, but Israel, which sees a lot of tourism from both Christians and Jews, have been hit particularly hard. Yeah, in June of 2020, just a couple of months ago, about 5,800 people visited Israel. Now compare that to the 365,000 people that visited in June of 2019. Uh, the same month the previous year, a drop of more than 95%. The Israel Hotel Association has estimated that the pandemic will cost about $1.16 billion in losses this year to the country's tourism industry. Warren, I'd like to hit one more COVID story. Samaritan's Purse has had to redeploy its COVID field hospital Again, Yeah, it's been a busy year for Samaritan's Purse when it comes to COVID. Samaritan's Purse, of course, the relief organization headquartered in Boone, North Carolina. On Thursday, uh, October 15th, the group announced that it was deploying its field hospital to Nassau in the Bahamas after an increase in COVID-19 cases there have threatened to overwhelm the local health care system. Now, plans call for a 28-bed field hospital and a team of doctors and nurses uh, to go with that hospital. Samaritan's Purse said the request for the field hospital came from uh, the Bahamian prime minister in response to medical facilities that were getting close to capacity. The U.S. Centers for Disease Control recommends that travelers avoid all non-essential travel to the Bahamas. The nation, which is made up of hundreds of small islands, has had about 5,100 cases of COVID with about 480 new cases just in the past week. It's reported about 109 deaths. Samaritan's Purse Hospital is not large, as I said, less than 30 beds, but those 30 beds can be vital in keeping alive critically ill cases when the COVID-19 cases spike. We're going to take another break. When we return, Ministry Watch itself gets its 15 minutes of fame. I'm Christina Darnell with my co-host Warren Smith. More in a moment. Hello, everyone. I'm Brittany with Save the Storks. Save the Storks is a pro-life ministry passionate about inspiring the world to reimagine the pro-life movement by serving and valuing every life. Save the Storks partners with pregnancy centers all across the U.S. to own and operate a stork bus to offer free ultrasounds and pregnancy tests to women in unplanned pregnancies. Stork buses park near college campuses, abortion clinics, shopping centers, and serve rural communities that lack medical care. Save the Storks is pleased to be the sponsor of the Ministry Watch podcast. For more information about our life-saving organization and how we partner with pregnancy resource centers around the country, go to savethestorks.com. That's savethestorks.com. Welcome back. I'm Christina Darnell, along with my co-host Warren Smith, and you're listening to the Ministry Watch podcast. 
Warren, we like to include at least one good news story in each of our podcasts. And this week, we have a story that's sort of bittersweet. It's the story of how Christian care homes are struggling to meet the needs of the elderly during the COVID crisis. Yeah, this week, uh, an interesting story that came to us from our friends at Religion Unplugged. It's the story of Teal Ridge, which operates three communities in the Dallas-Fort Worth area. Now, Teal Ridge started 73 years ago as a home for retired. Church of Christ ministers, but it's since evolved and now serves hundreds of seniors in the Dallas Metroplex. Now, Christina, I'm sure many of our listeners know James 127, which says that Christians are to look after orphans and widows in their distress. Teal Ridge is just one of hundreds of faith-based senior care facilities scattered all across the country. And one of the reasons I think it's important to feature such organizations is to show the world that Christianity is not only true, but it's also good for the world. Sometimes in the midst of a polarizing political season, it's easy to forget that. And I think these sorts of stories really help bring that reality back to the surface again. This story is really interesting. It's in-depth, and then as you say, it's bittersweet because it highlights some of the real-life situations that caregivers have to face. Yeah, it does. And you can read the entire story by going to the Ministry Watch website, ministrywatch.com. Warren, I'd like to close today with a bit of news that Ministry Watch made. Yeah, a survey done by Gray Matter Research and Harmon Research found that 36 million donors use watchdog organizations to help them make their giving decisions. Further, the study found that Ministry Watch was the second most utilized website of those surveyed. In total, eight organizations made the list. Number one was a group called Charity Watch. So I guess we should be patting ourselves on the back. Well, not quite. One of the other findings of the survey is that none of the organizations individually had a very high awareness, and far fewer than half of the donors to charity in this country use any sort of research to help them make their giving decisions. So I'm pleased that Ministry Watch has moved onto the radar screen, and we get stories every week from users to our side who tell us that they did, in fact, use our research to help them make their giving decisions. But I think that we and all of the other watchdog organizations still have a lot of work ahead of us. Well, Warren, on that note, we need to be bringing our time together to a close. But before we go, I know you have a couple of updates about Ministry Watch for us. Yeah, I do. Uh, first, I'm pleased to let you know that our webinar next week, How to Find and Read a Form 990, is completely sold out. Though I'm not sure that sold out is exactly the right word to use for an event that's free. <laughs> but anyway, uh, there it is. Uh, if you didn't get a chance, though, to sign up, don't despair. We'll be adding another date before the end of the year. So stay tuned, and I'll be updating you with those details probably next week. And regular listeners of the podcast know that throughout the month of September, we were offering a copy of my new book, Faith-Based Fraud, to anyone who made a donation to Ministry Watch. The demand for the book was so great that we had to go into another printing of the books, and that has allowed us to extend the offer through October. So if you missed the offer in September, it's not too late. If you'd like to get a copy of the book, you can make a donation by going to ministrywatch.com and hit the donate button up at the top of the page. The producers for today's program are Rich Rosel and Steve Gandy. We get database and other technical support from Kathy Goddard, Stephen DuBerry, and Casey Suddeth. Writers who contributed to today's program include Eric Trigestad, Yonat Shimron, Adele Banks, Ann Steich, Warren Smith, and me, 
Christina Darnell. And Christina, I'd like to thank you for pinch hitting for Natasha this week. It's been great to have you on the program, and it's a blessing to have you on the Ministry Watch team. Thanks, Warren. It's my pleasure. And with that, I'm signing off by saying that I'm Warren Smith, along with my co-host this week, Christina Darnell, and we're both coming to you from Charlotte, North Carolina. You've been listening to the Ministry Watch podcast. Until next time, may God bless you.